So Destiny is one of those episodes where I think it's a good idea, but the execution's just a little too... There's something off with it. Okay. You know what it is? The prophecy needs to be like four to six like lines of rhyming poetry that we can easily understand and remember and get all... Because I can't even remember what the... I could not remember what the prophecy was through the episode. There was something about a sword of stars and vipers, and that was about it. Yeah. And that's, I think, a big problem of it because, you know... Half of the prophecy is very vague, and they're not sure what it means. And, you know, this episode hinges on them thinking the prophecy is something frightening and it turning out to be something ultimately good, just as it is the beginnings of um, Cisco beginning to accept his emissary identity, which— Well, I'm glad you picked up on that. One of the problems is we still don't really know what it means that he is the emissary because nobody is bothered to find out. Right. Yeah. I think that this episode is interesting uh, mostly because of that stuff. I, I, I'm with you on the prophecy. I, you know, it's funny because my eyes kind of always glaze over when they talk about it. It's just very yeah. generic and it doesn't matter all that much, frankly. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, the, the episode is much more about Cisco yes. coming to terms with being the emissary, uh, becoming more invested, I think, in the Bajoran religion in a certain sense. And and Kira, you know, kind of straddling that line because this is maybe the second time that, well, I think maybe it's been the first time that it's actually been like confirmed that she does believe he's the emissary, maybe. Uh, but again, you know, the emissary stuff is interesting because I almost sort of forgot about it. Like, and I think, yeah, you know, this this is it becomes a much bigger deal in later seasons, especially in like seasons six and seven. They talk about it a lot more. Um, but, and that's kind of just generic. It's not really spoiling anything. I can kind of, no, I can kind of see, I mean, obviously the events of this episode are, are setting the stage for him, uh, dealing with it more. But it kind of, I think is interesting in terms of the, the back, the sort of the backstory of, of the, the, the season, which is. Um, you know, Ira Stephen Bear taking the show over, becoming the showrunner. You know, Ronald D. Moore comes over. You've got um, uh, Hewitt Wolf, who's writing a lot more for the show now. So, so the the players involved in the writing staff and sort of the production are 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 getting into place. And you know, the show introduced this idea of Cisco as the emissary. It was a very big part of the pilot. It was the name yeah. of the pilot, right? And then just basically did not mention it again for two and a half years. And that's fine, uh, but. I like that the show is going back and engaging with something that it established as important early on. I, I, I think it's one of those things where you look at it and, and it's hard to look at it at this point and say what it means or w- where it's going or, or is it going to be a big part of the show? Is it not going to be a big part of the show? Uh, but the show, is, I think, is, is transitioning a little bit. You know, In a lot of ways, I think the third season is, is, a, is a transition season. Well, I mean, both this episode and the next episode deal very heavily with the prophets or the wormhole aliens or whatever you know we want to call them and one of the yeah. one of the points to this episode to the series in general has been that here is an experience that Cisco had with some kind of consciousness and you know the Bajorans take this wholly religiously you know Cisco wants to take it wholly scientifically and i mean there were people like Kaiopaka who didn't seem to really think the difference really mattered and um i don't know if the episode is getting into the the series is getting into the point where the distinction is starting to matter or not but 
Uh, yes and no, because yeah. I think that, that, you know, it, it's hard to talk about because again, there's, there's stuff that happens later that, you know, I, I don't think it's much of a secret to say that, you know, Cisco does get more invested in the idea of the emissary yeah. being the emissary. He becomes more comfortable with it. I think that, you know, this episode is very much on its, on its face. It's an episode between science and religion. And what it turns out to be is not that, which I think is an interesting way for the episode to go. And I wish that it sort of doubled down on that because the the meat of the episode and the interesting stuff about the episode, I think, is, you know, this sort of disgraced Vedic who was kicked out of the assembly and talking about this prophecy and the idea of a a sort of I don't know, it's a scientific it's it's a scientific sort of. Uh, understanding of religion and and you know that scene between Cisco and Kira sort of in the midpoint of the episode where she is saying well that's a, I think that's a very Starfleet line of logic yeah. you know that's her trying to convince Cisco of the sort of scientific validity of a religious thing and I don't know that the show really has an answer for it I think that you know it makes sense in terms of the way Star Trek looks at the world that there would be a sort of strong scientific basis for the Bajoran religion. Uh, but I don't know that they've really thought about it much more than that. Yeah, I mean, there is a degree to which it's, you know, any advanced uh, technology is magic. Um, you know, that is. Well, I disagree with you because I think that, you know, it's very. That, that is not the case here okay. because. The the wormhole aliens are the prophets, and and we know that they exist. We know that they exist out of well, time. They're measurable. The wormhole, all of this stuff, and so you know, it's just it's just this well, idea I guess it's that, the way that um you know they they're approaching him in different ways. Starfleet well, right. want wants to communicate with the aliens, wants to figure out what they are, wants to understand you know nonlinear time, wants to understand this you know non corporeal you know, and the Bajorans see this and saying, well, what they're telling us, you know. How can that guide us philosophically? You know, what is the meaning of that? What can we get from that? How can our culture, you know, and... Well, that's kind of the interesting part about it, I think, is that, you know, there's always this implication, you know, they've said this in previous episodes that, um, and I think even in 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 the first episode that the Bajorans were in, in, in TNG, they said this, that the Bajorans had this longstanding uh, artistic culture um, for, for thousands and thousands of years before humans were, you know, doing anything. And I don't get the sense that Bajor was ever explicitly sort of a scientific um, society. You know, certainly they yeah. they did have science and they did have technology. But I think that, that you know, before the Cardassians came, the implication is that the Bajorans were very artistic and very cultural and very spiritual. And it makes sense in terms of if you look at Bajor now and see where it is. I mean, okay, let's let, – as a thought experiment, you know – the wormhole aliens, the wormhole, you know, all of this stuff is being experienced by a culture thousands and thousands and thousands of years in the past that doesn't have the scientific, yeah. uh, you know, expertise and the equipment that Starfleet and and sort of the, the warp-faring civilizations of, of the 24th century have. And so they're, they're translating their experiences with this real thing in a way that they can understand. Now, if the Bajorans had not experienced the wormhole aliens until now, they probably wouldn't have, you know, sort of constructed this entire religion around them. But the fact of the matter is, it did get constructed. And yeah. so they're interpreting their, you know, 
real engagement with the wormhole alien slash prophets in a different way than Starfleet is. Yeah, and, and it, Cisco. And I think the show believes that both are valid. There can be a scientific mm-hmm. truth to it, and then there can be a deeper spiritual meaning behind this. I mean, it is it is clear that the prophets are you know further beyond you know in in intelligence. You yeah. know, are very different. Do have an insight. You know, do have something to you know are in a way uh a projection of a deeper secret about the cosmos you know than anybody is privy to and you know that's something that both science and religion uh study in their own ways yes and and also too i i i think that the wormhole aliens or prophets have a uh uh maybe not a love for the bajoran people but they sort of they they look at them and they're kind of you know, protecting of them a little bit or they're interested in them, you know, I think that there's a certain implication there as well. I, you know, there's almost a paternalism to it, I think, that that is interesting. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to jump too ahead to the next episode, but I mean, they meet a Ferengi and they're horrified, you know. Yeah. They meet Cisco in the pilot and they're initially confused, but, you know, they approach reason enough that you know they're able to have communication with him you know obviously you know they're what however they communicated with the bajorans originally and i'm not sure if the series will eventually get into that but right however they initially contact kind of does but yeah, yeah. I, I i don't know how they you know in, in other words i don't think we're gonna have a flashback episode where you know we see you know this is bajor bajor you know five thousand years ago but um, right um I assume that, you know... If for no other reason, I don't think the show has the budget to do something <laughs> like that. But, you know, it, it, we can have a Kyra Vedic, you know, tell a story at one point. Like, yes. that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and well, I think the implication is that the prophets communicated through the orbs. Yeah. I think. I mean, you know, I, I think that's how it's indicated. But maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the implication from... If I remember the pilot right, uh, you know, they've certainly seen the orbs. They've They've, you know had contact with the orbs you know you know vedic Baral has communion with the orbs you know it's yeah. part of their ceremonies you know all of that you know but before cisco you know cisco is the first person to actually have a conversation you know directly with one of them you know he's the first to go up on the mountaintop talk to god and come back right um, right which what? is you know a- a- and i guess you know to a degree i mean we're still not a hundred percent sure what emissary means, but if it is, if it does simply mean the person who went to talk to the prophets and you know brought their message back, well, yeah, yeah Cisco is. I think that is what it means. Yeah, yeah, that that's you know, Cisco is Cisco is inarguably the emissary. You know, no matter what he thinks of the religious significance of that, you know, he is that he by definition fits that. I think sure. it's more about him struggling with the meaning and the significance of the role in a lot of ways because as somebody who is trying to approach this scientifically this doesn't really have anything that special or mystical about it but well i think that the well the interesting thing is i mean cisco is a very passionate man yeah and i think it makes sense that he would start to engage with the bajoran religion in a certain sense uh you know, Cisco, if you look at back at the pilot and you say, you know, Cisco is a Starfleet officer. Cisco is a human of the 24th century. There, We've never seen any indication that humans are religious in any sense of the word in the 24th century, right? I, I don't think we've seen that. Uh, um, no, not that I've 
yeah, anytime Starfleets have mentioned religion, it's been other cultures, other planets, right. ceremonies, and they're more interested in it. In a we don't see we don't see you know you know Jewish Starfleet officers you know having a seder. We don't see Christians yeah. celebrating Easter on the show. I mean, there's none of that, right? And so yeah, yeah, yeah. The you know humans will go to an alien ceremony, you know, but we've right. never seen aliens going to a human ceremony, which I think is probably an okay choice. I I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, I think the implication is that humans have sort of, I don't know, have outgrown that outgrown religion or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whatever your, you know, beliefs about religion are. Uh, That's a fairly common sci-fi trope too, is of course. Yeah. Um, and so you look at it and you say, here's a man who, who communicated with the Bajorans, you know, the Bajorans had this prophet of the emissary who was going to actually talk to the prophets because, you know, they, they, they've talked to the prophets through the orbs, but they've never actually directly engaged with them. And so this is a man who's done this. And now I think, you know, this part of the problem I have with the episode is that there's a lot of interesting subtext here, but the episode itself is very interested in making, uh, a fairly facile point about the, the, you know, the problems inherent in prophecies, which, yeah, okay, we all yeah. know that. Like, I mean, you know, it's just, it's kind of like, oh, here's a prophecy and it can be interpreted in different ways. Wow, really? I mean, okay. I feel like this might be one of those that, you know, we've seen a couple episodes that have meant more, you know, later on. And I want, I feel like this episode might be a little more significant later in light of, you know, him taking, I mean, because it ends yeah. on this note where he says, well, there's another prophecy. The emissary will face a trial by fire, and, you know, then it cuts, you know, to credits. And right. that, I will assume, will come into play, you know, whatever this next prophecy is. Um, well, yeah, I think that's obviously, a... Yeah, obviously that's the episode saying, we're not really ready to deal with this yet, but stay tuned. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a, a good interpretation of it. It's, it doesn't have as much to do with the particular prophecy in this episode but more to do with sort of you know introducing the idea that there are prophecies out there that perhaps are true you know like because and that you know and that in a way all right cisco's role isn't done he wasn't just simply to meet the emissary you know meet the prophets at the beginning and that's like this is kind of his maybe that you know this is his second he's on his second step of his spiritual journey in a lot of ways you know meaning the prophets was the first step acknowledging that they you know exist yeah and now he finally acknowledges that he has some role in this and you know whatever's going to happen in the future is going to happen well, yeah, and I think, you know, that's, that's I mean, that's the subtext throughout the, you know, the first couple of years of the show, I think, too, is that, you know, if you really think about what happened in the pilot, you know, the, the Bajoran religion, the Bajorans were, were given direct proof that their gods exist, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and that, and that the celestial temple exists and that all of their, you know, religious, uh, 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 you know, myths are, are actually based in some sort of reality. And so that would probably fundamentally change their society, you know, I, but it, it doesn't really seem to have. So I, I don't know well, what to that a degree, means. But... I mean, to a degree, I, I don't think it was, I, I, I mean, there are Bajorans who know that the orbs exist, you know, the, the Vedics have actually seen the orbs. You know, you yeah. can you can assume that the average person on the street, even if they haven't seen the orb themselves, they've seen a Vedic preaching and talking about the orbs, and they can you know 
at least you know they have enough of a good faith belief that it really exists. Yeah, but there's 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 a different. I mean, because, yeah, you know the celestial temple. I think you know before they re- before they actually find the wormhole. I don't think they knew about the wormhole, and you know the celestial no. temple is sort of like heaven, right? And so in the first episode of the show, it's like if someone was like, "Oh yeah, we discovered heaven. It's forty five miles above Cincinnati." Like, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, you know, also you, you. But again, you and I are taking this as you know two people in 21st century America uh, of different, you know, who aren't particularly religious, you know, take somebody who is on ba- a highly religious religious bejour, you know, they may just take it as confirmation as something that they already know. I mean, you, you know, you talk to a bunch yeah, of people true. in medieval times and said, oh, we found actually found out where the Garden of Eden is. Well, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. You did it. But, you know, we always assumed that someone would be able to. Right. It's, it's it's cool that we actually did it. You know, I, I, I think they, you know, it, it seems like it would be more like, you know, oh, wow, I never thought that would be in my lifetime as opposed to, wow, I never thought that would be. Yeah, that could be. Sure. I think so. Um, and also, frankly, I think that, that you know, Bajoran society has been so, uh, you know, shaken in the past, yeah. you know, f- few decades anyway, that what's one other, you know, <laughs> shattering or Bajor shattering, uh, 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 you know, revelation. revelation. Yeah. Well, that, you know. And I guess the other the other interesting thing I think about the episode is the way that Kira engages with it as well, because I think this is the first time that Kira has really, you know, she's very uncomfortable with the idea of talking to Cisco as the emissary. She doesn't yeah. want to do that. Um, she's she's trying to convince Cisco to 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 listen to the prophecy in a very Starfleet way. She even uses that terminology. But I think at the end of the episode, w- what's interesting about it is that I think that that. Kira is starting to engage with the idea of Cisco as the emissary, but yeah. but Cisco is starting to engage with Kira on that basis as well. Yeah, I mean they, they, they've you know they've had the relationship of a ser- superior officer to a subordinate, and they've also had the relationship of friends, you know, and yeah. confidants to each other, and you know, but this is a very different and frankly a weird thing you know for two people to deal with you know well because i mean in a certain sense it's like hey i'm friends with jesus yeah (laughs) no um yeah yeah to realize that your boss and your friend is you know to actually deal you know there's that one you know conversation which she has with the disgraced vedic where Mm -hmm. you know she basically says like look you know i've kept my you know, Starfleet life and my, you know, Bajoran spiritual life pretty separate and it's been fine, you know. And, you know, he says, well, look, at some point you're going to have to, you know, deal with that, you know. And, you know, yeah, she has compartmentalized that part of it because that is very big to deal with. I mean, appropriately, she is weirded out by it. Yeah, I think that, yeah, she is. And I think that, I don't know. Kira strikes me as a very practical sort of person. And yeah, she's very religious. She believes in the religion very strongly and she has a strong faith. But she also realizes that there's the real world or whatever. She has a very materialist uh, perspective on religion in a way. Yeah. And I think this is probably the first time maybe that she's starting to let the two sides of that blur a little bit. Yeah. I mean, maybe her view of the religion, you know, especially filtered through her conversations with, you know, Cisco is that, you know, yes, there are beings, we call them prophets, you may call them the wormhole aliens, you know, yeah. I call them Clyde, well, whoever they are, there <laughs> are beings, you know, who have some kind of wisdom and that we have built our, you right. know, philo- I mean, there are earth religions that are, come similarly, you know, uh, you know, 
Buddhism, Taoism. That's not based on like writings from God. It's you know based on spiritual uh, spiritual teachers, right, you know. Right. Um, and that may be kind of where she takes her religion initially, but you know this is starting to open. This is the two of them starting to open the doors to mysticism a little bit more. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, you know, to to to, to take that to take it very literally, I mean, the Bajoran religion, you know, your your kind of uh, 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 mentioning of Buddhism, for example, makes me realize that the Bajoran religion doesn't actually have a god. Like, you yeah. know, the, there's the there are the prophets, but the prophets of who? Yeah, like, yeah, you, you know not- what I mean? Like. So, so the Bajoran religion, in a sense, I think is probably a little less, uh, you know, deistic. It's not a theistic religion, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like the word deistic, but, you know, Well, whatever. those are two actually different things. Whatever, Richard. <laughs> you also said something about bathos. Which is a real word. A couple episodes ago, which is not a fucking real word. I looked it up on Wikipedia just to make sure, because you made me all It was invented in, like, 1750 by, like, Percy So is America, and we still live there. Yeah, well, don't remind me. Um, uh, well, yeah. It was invented by, like, Alexander Pope or someone. Like, it was an actual person. Who cares? Alexander Pope. Well, he's been dead for many years. I know. Uh, yeah, and then also, you know, moving aside from that, I, I don't know how much people actually want to talk about this, but, um... I thought the whole point where it's like, you know, oh, the mean, you know, Obsidian Order Lady, their sabotage, who was it? It was the mean Obsidian Order Lady. Like, that was just like, okay. Yeah, it was kind of paint by numbers. I, I think that, that, you know, the show but, is not, this episode is very yeah. not engaged with the Cardassians But I wish they, way. you know, I wish they wouldn't have even put that in there, because, you know, I really liked... The two, you know, the first two Cardassian scientists, you know, especially the scene when, you know, they get the Cardassian food and they're just like, ugh, and they, you know, that they're, you know, joking about them. And he, these are two very different Cardassians. Which, which, on the one hand, kind of, it always initially, like, doesn't make any fucking sense to me whatsoever. But then I think about it and I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's like maybe English people. Yeah, who yeah, no, that's, that's really just eat their food and don't really think about it. And then they, you know, move to France and they go back to England and they're like, what the fuck? How would I, how did I eat this stuff? You know, like, yeah. No, no, that, I mean, that, that's how I, you know, kind of interpret interpreted it too you know um and you well, know I think and I, I i i i thought i would have liked the episode better if it had been about you know there are these two cardassian scientists and they're very you know cosmopolitan and they you know love that they get you know but they're not really you know hardline cardassian and there, there is this one woman who is very hardline cardassian and very conservative but she's not evil you know well and also frankly i mean i don't know who the hell that actress was but like somebody needed to tell her to like lighten up a little bit uh, because she was really not great as a cardassian <laughs> it, it just felt like she was like someone told her that cardassians were cruel or something and she was like okay i just need to turn off my emotions yeah um but you know did that ruin the episode no was no. that the point of the episode no well i think that that both plots of the episode uh the problem with destiny is that it's the execution isn't there it raises a lot of interesting questions but the the actual mechanics of the episode are very paint by numbers and it's the whole o'brien plot like didn't really add anything yeah that was just like what like i don't know it was not great it, it, it seemed like they were just you know taking every creepy Jordy plot and just gender flipping it just for you know Okay. Oh, well, Cardassian men can't do science. They don't have the brain for it. Right. Which, I mean, I've got to I've got to be honest. I mean, we haven't seen too many male Cardassian scientists. That's true. You know, they have mostly been military or diplomatic. But number one, that's owing to, you know, the 
Sex, Partic- sexism of late 20th century American culture. Uh, I was going to say that's owing more to the Cardassians that we've met. I mean, of course, we're going to meet more military and diplomats than we are going to. And well, that's very sexist of you, Richard. What? That we're on a show that's dealing with war and diplomacy and we'll meet military and diplomats. And why are they all men? That's the sexist part. I didn't say that. Uh-huh. Sure. Uh-huh. The point is that, the, you know, I, I, I'm just going to pull back from yeah, this just, conversation. Yeah, just pull back from that because you're not going to – it's not going to end well for you. No, I, I think that, you know, Cardassian Tracy Scoggins was fine and uh, that's who that was, by the way. You, did you did you know that? I don't know who the fuck Tracy she, Scoggins She played the captain in the fifth season of B5, B, Babylon 5. There was a fifth season of Babylon 5. All right, whatever. Uh, Listen, man, I don't remember her. I think it's more interesting because the show is engaging with the fallout of the Cardassian peace treaty, I think, more than anything else. And and yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's a nice idea that they're now going to be like some Cardassians that are coming to the station yeah. and having more like, you know, regular sort of official interactions with the with the, you know, with their cast and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's all just kind of like, well, OK, then, you know, like there's not really much there. Yeah, I think that's, that's as far as I can with this episode all right well let's talk about profit motive okay now i know you love ferengi episodes and i know you love the nagus yeah no i you found this a tough one didn't you you know there are parts of this episode that i really like i think that uh uh armin shimmerman is in rare form in this episode he's doing there's some great line readings he and rom um, work re- that, that's the thing like when uh, Armin Schumerman and uh, Rom's actor are working off each other in a comedy scene. They do it really well. When they're reading the book is really f- a funny scene. There were a lot of as, – as a dumb light comedy episode, I really liked this one. It made me laugh. I mean, there's a couple things in here I like. I think this is the first really good episode for Rom. You know, I, I, I know that you said a few episodes ago that you really didn't like him. You didn't know why. You know, like there, yeah. there's questions about Rom that you have. And I said, well, just wait. And I think this is the first good episode for Rom well, because you get a sense of there are some other things going on in his head other than what we've seen so far. And you get a little more of the relationship between Rom and Quark. You know, I, I, I can. It's interesting because they don't really, you know. They, they don't explicitly say it, but you can see that kind of being spurred on by, you know, Nog's decision to enter Starfleet. I mean, he, you know, Rom is inspired to grow a backbone to give his son a better life at the end of that episode. And, yeah. you know, this episode, he's still got some momentum from that. I mean, he stands up to Quark about the, uh, you know... Quark, you know, being shitty in his quarters, you know, and at the end when he reveals, you know, he's been embezzling money from the Nagus, you know, this whole time, you know, that's that's a little more confident Rom, you know, and I like that. I think that, yeah, he's kind of uh, – Nog is rubbing off on Rom a little bit. I think that it – I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Rom is now maybe getting a little bit more confidence and he's he's able to see that you know because Quark is very interesting in this episode because Quark is the driver of a lot of the action Quark is the one who's like what the fuck is going on uh he doesn't believe that the Nagus would really be acting like this and Rom just kind of goes along for the ride because that's what Rom does but Quark also, and also the Nagus is being really nice to Rom, and you know yeah. people are not nice to Rom. So, 
But I think that in a real sense, you know, you see the difference between Quark and Rom because Quark is the actor in this episode and he's the one who kind of resolves the plot. But Rom is just kind of taking advantage of it. You know, Rom doesn't really care why this is happening. He just sees an opportunity and he goes for it. I think in a certain sense, you can make the argument that in this in this episode, Rom is being a better Ferengi than Quark is being a better (laughs) Ferengi. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he's smiling. He's letting the customer think he's getting what he wants and he's you know, getting as much profit as he can in the meantime. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, I mean, you know, I don't know. It's, I mean, the Nagus is a character that always kind of annoys me. I I don't, I don't really have. It's a, he's, I feel like, you know, when, again, it's, I always said when Wallace Shawn and Iman Shimerman are together, I should be just cracking my shit up. Like they, they, it should be, this should be brilliant. Like on paper, that's great. And they just, it just doesn't quite work. It doesn't quite work. I don't know what it is. I, I mean, don't know. I, is it I, the voice? Is that it? I like Wallace Shawn yeah. as, as a character actor. I think he's really good. I just don't know that he works on this show. Like, and I know that that's kind of a heretical thing to say because I think a lot of people really like Nagus, but I don't know that he just, he never seems like, he never seems like he's on the same set as everybody else. Like, he always just seems like he's not really sure why he's there or like who, who talked him into this. Um, he is in a slightly different show than everybody yeah, else is. He's in a much broader show. I mean, of course, Ferengi episodes are sort of broad comedy. But, uh, you know, it, it's funny because I, I think that he said at one point, I mean, I, this may be apocryphal, but I read this somewhere that um, basically he he did, he appeared so infrequently only because, like, he had to forget how painful the makeup was to go through before <laughs> he would agree to do it again, which, you know, may be true. He uh, is very heavily made up and probably the most heavily made up while Sean's oh, ever been in his career yeah Yeah. and i mean i think even the ferengi makeup that he has is even heavier than normal ferengi oh yeah because he's you know looks older and but at the same time you know i mean like i said this episode probably made me laugh the most of the ferengi nagus episode yeah i mean it's fine Uh, you know is that all we want from this show right that's my question is like you know Frankie episodes are hard to talk about because the Frankie episodes, as they get later on, I think they get a little bit more connected with the, yeah. the overarching themes of what the show is. But I mean, this episode in particular, you know, aside from all of this sort of like profit stuff, which I guess well, we can talk about, you know, I, I don't know what it really has to do with anything. It doesn't necessarily have to do anything with anything, but this is a B plot that stretched to a plot of an episode. I think. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think that would be a very good comedy B plot is suddenly the Nagus is being really nice and Quark is like flipping out trying to figure out why, you know. Um I think yeah, actually, you know, that's funny that you say that because I think that in a large way that's crystallizing why I don't like a lot of the early Ferengi episodes is that they they all sort of feel like B plots that are yeah. kind of expanded into the A plot. <laughs> the fact that the Nagus and Quark do commune with the prophets is a little religiously confusing because are they emissaries too now? No, I think it's like the first person to yeah. be that is the emissary, but not the rest of them. So then that makes the other question, are people regularly communing with the prophets? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that the yeah. pro- the prophets are, are kind of sluts. They'll talk to whoever they, they'll commune with whoever they want to. Uh, whoever comes into the wormhole, they'll, they'll talk to them. Uh, not slut shaming in any way. I love sluts. Listen, um, uh, Kira's line, you know, reading of, you know, linguistic communication is tiring was brilliant, by the way. But so I don't think they really do like to talk to everybody. You know what this really reminds me of? And this is kind of a weird, maybe a a weird comparison. But uh, Quark episodes 
always remind me of like, or they remind me of sort of like the Marie episode of Breaking Bad where I'm just kind of like, why did we need to see this? <laughs> like, because, you know, TNG, Deep Space Nine, you know, this era of Star Trek is very, very ensemble focused. And, yeah. you know, it's the kind of thing where each character has to get one or two episodes a season to be the main person and blah, blah, blah. That's not, I mean, there's certainly television that's made like that still, but there's also television that's not made like that now. And for me, it's like, yeah, it's like that episode of Breaking Bad where Marie was the main character. And it's like, what the fuck? Why did I need to see this? Like, what is the point here? You know, like Marie is a fine supporting character. She's a fine foil for Walter. She like, you know, but, but. Quark may be that character as well. I like Quark in the show when he's doing his weird things. He's just kind of there to add some color. He's, a, But when he actually has to carry an episode, it's not that Armin Shimmerman can't do it. He certainly can do it. He's a fantastic actor. But maybe Quark can't do it. Yeah, Quark. Can, I, like, I don't know why we need to see this. I don't know. It's one of those episodes that as I talk about it, I'm liking it less. <laughs> well, you know, this is actually reminding me of something you say about a lot of you know television now is that, you know, they don't have like episodes don't have plots to them you know it's just a bunch of shit that happens you know with yeah. these characters and i mean in a lot of shows like that 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 does support an ensemble very easily because you know okay well we can show you know we can just check up on you know two characters you know and have them have a few scenes and if it doesn't really connect up to anything else you know well this is what quark was doing this week you know and it doesn't really matter because you know not everything else is tighter you know and it almost seems like because this is still an era where they are writing plots to each episode, I mean, they're even the more hangouty episodes are, you know, still based around a single through line of events, you know, for the most yeah. part. And so, you know, that seems almost like the side effect of that because you're not going to have an aimless thing, you know, when you need to show another characters what they're doing, you just got to make it about them. And if it's not the... You know, I do like the impulse. I do want to hear more about Ferengi culture, you know, just as I like to hear more about the alien cultures. That's what I like sci-fi for, really. Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, my I guess my main problem with it again, and you know, this is becoming kind of a meta episode of Trek About, but that's fine. Well, I never met an episode of Trek About I didn't like. I don't know. There were one or two. But uh, that, that you know, we haven't had that many Frankie episodes so far. I like the later Frankie episodes more because, again, they sort of engage with the themes of, the, of Deep Space Nine more than these do. Um, and, and you know, frankly, I just I find Ferengi culture to be odious and I don't like playing it for laughs. It's the same problem I had with Rules of Acquisition where there were some serious, you know, real things going on that were just played for laughs. And I'm just kind of like, this is gross. I don't. I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. And, and you know, you don't always have to feel good. There are certain television shows that don't make you feel good. They make you feel uncomfortable for, for, for good reasons. But this just isn't This show that. isn't trying. Yeah. Again, this is. It's not is, self-aware enough. This is going back to that very original in one of the first few episodes where there was the Dabo girl or the cocktail waitress or whatever. Yeah. Who had, you know, having sex with Quark in her contract. And, and it's that, played for laughs. And it's like, yeah, it's gross. It's just gross. Yeah. Like, and I mean, like, they haven't really kept that angle of Quark as much. But, you know, what you I know think- he's 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 definitely very lascivious. I mean, we see him in the beginning of this. But I I, I, I think they've made it kind of. They've angled it to, you know, this woman is very much like, 
giving him Umak in order to, you know, get him into giving her the bet. Like, they're kind of playing each other is how they generally try yeah. to do that, which is, which is you know, certainly better. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Then they, 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 they well, aren't quite – they're a little tone deaf to the lines they're crossing. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, frankly, the Ferengi episodes feel like something that, like, straight guys really think is funny. I don't know. Like, I just like because there's just like there's a, there's a there's a general lack of self awareness to a lot of this, and there's a general lack of of engaging with the real ideas behind it that just feels kind of lazy. And you know, yeah, okay, Deep Space Nine can be funny, sure. TNG could be funny in very small doses sometimes, but but as a general rule, I don't think that Star Trek is something that does comedy very well. On the one hand, I guess it's kind of a miracle that Deep Space Nine does comedy as well as it does, but. I don't really – that's I not what I that, really come to Star Trek for. And that's largely the fact that they have some actors who are doing a really good job of it, like yeah. it, with a different – you know, not to say that the TNG cast was bad by any stretch, but I mean they just I, – I, I think these, these actors happen to be better comedians and so there – but the material is probably – equal when they're doing comedy well i think it's like you know it's it's we're at that point in the season and so far i think i don't know i don't want to put words in your mouth but i think the third season has been has been quite strong yeah Um, these this these two episodes are you know these are the couple episodes that if they had made 20 episodes instead of 26 maybe they wouldn't make the cut do you know what i mean like yeah i mean like i feel like on one hand you know, we are getting some important shit about the prophets and about Bajor and stuff. And hey, remember this theme, you know? Because yes, we haven't dealt with this, the Cardassian Bajor religion emissary plot in a while. And, you know, we do need to be reminded. Yeah. You know, oh, hey, this is still a factor. Yeah. I mean, in terms of moving parts, Deep Space Nine does have a lot more that, you know, yeah. are important, you know, than, you know, any of the others ever did. Um, that I liked this episode fine, but I would have rather a better episode of it. I think that's it. I think that's that's mostly what the problem with Destiny and Profit the prob- Motive yeah, are. The they they feel like they're just they they I don't know they they didn't go a little they they didn't go far enough. Like there's there's parts of it that just feel very rote and very paint by the numbers and. Maybe there was like a mini series going on the weeks these were airing, so they gave them like weaker episodes, just you know, because they knew they would get lesser ratings. Like that's what it feels like almost. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think that that um, you know, your your conception of how um, Hollywood works is usually d- 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 fairly uh, uh, d- d- bizarre, uh, but because <laughs> I don't think anybody thinks like that. Um, at least, at least not the writing staff. They're just going week by week trying to get oh, through. Oh, that the would week. be so great if I like ran Hollywood. Yeah, it would be fantastic. Yeah, and I don't know. I feel like we should talk about Quark and the profits and everything. But I'm just like, I don't know. To a certain degree, I'm just like, what does it matter? I like, mean, it was a great scene. Him, you know, I, you know, anytime Quark has the, you know, you know, needs to sell in order to save his own skin. You know, he's wonderful. Yeah, that's you, that's, you know, yeah, that's Quark's best talent. Is you know. Talking, <laughs> talking his way out of trouble is Quark's best talent, and so it's always, and, and it's always great seeing that. But and I like the fact, you know, the the, the Renee Obergenwald directed this episode, and yeah, you know, they they oh. hadn't done a uh, prophet wormhole alien scene since the yeah. pilot, and so they really did a great job of sort of replicating the look of those scenes. Yeah, 
And they did a really good job of, you know, breaking in little, you know, the, the whole baseball analogy where they say, oh, that's, you know, you want to know how the game ends before it's played. Like, that's kind of a, a callback to the MSA yeah. where he explained linear time through baseball. You know, so there's, there is some, there are some nice things there. And I think execution wise, you know, on a production level and a, and a, and a writing yeah. level, I think it's done very well. I like how the characters are kind of you know, shifted left versions of themselves, you know, because yes, Kira is, Kira isn't Kira, but she's still a little sarcastic, you know? Yeah. Cisco isn't Cisco, but he's still, you know, baseball focused, you know, things like that. And also, frankly, the, the, the characters that are being embodied there are different for Quark than they were for Cisco. Of course. You know, and so I think that it's interesting that, that, you know, you know, Cisco is the one character that we've seen so far that can go toe to toe with the wormhole aliens and really sort of talk to them and get through to them. And as it turns out, the Grand Nagus is not, um, and and Quark is. And so, in a certain <laughs> but Quark sense, just uh, you know realizes how much they hate him, and he kind of leans in on. Them. Well, right, but I think that on a certain sense, the Grand Nagus is not that smart. Yeah, and Quark is obviously a smart guy, you know, and I think that that's maybe what the point of that scene is. Yeah, Looking yeah, it's for Quark. It's fine. I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things where. I think on the whole, and we haven't talked about the B plot with you know Bashir getting the the award oh, yeah. nomination. I, 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 I just you know that one I wanted to care about, but I don't. I until you mentioned well, it, Bashir I completely didn't forgot care about it. about it. So well, I mean, like it's I I couldn't tell what the point of that was. It that he thought he should have gotten it and it was nervous. Was that he? Was he embarrassed that he was, you know, does he not want well, glory now that he's getting, you know, I, I don't think they could figure out what quite the point of that scene was. I don't think they know what the scene, I don't know what the, I don't think they know what the point of that scene is either. And I think that there's something that, that there's something about Bashir that happens later that they had not planned. And I don't want to go into any more than that, but uh, it, I know that sounds very vague, but, <laughs> but I'm being vague for a reason. Um, that that if you look back at something like this episode, you can kind of retcon it and say, "Oh, that's why he was acting like that because of this thing that we find out much later." Like he's not really a doctor, and he's actually been faking it this entire time. Something like that. Okay, but but you know, aside from that, I don't yeah. know that it's all that interesting. And I think that that you know what it really comes down to is both the A and the B plot of profit motive um, are kind of treating Deep Space Nine like a sitcom. They're kind of like working on yeah. sitcom logic and. I like sitcoms, but I don't necessarily watch Star Trek for sitcom watch. Star Trek is a space drama with some light comedic elements, not a sitcom. Right. Because it's very like that whole B plot is like an episode of Friends or something. You know, like, you know, he gets nominated for the award. It seems more like a Frasier thing. Friends wouldn't. Okay. Frasier, sure. I don't know anything about Friends. Uh, Obviously, you don't. You know, he gets he gets nominated for this award. Everyone's really happy for him. He's like, fuck this. I'm not going to get this award. And then as it turns out, he's really hopeful he's actually going to get it. The end. You know, it's like, all right, I guess that was cute enough. But I mean, uh, I liked the scene when, you know, they're playing darts and, you know, O'Brien is just being a dick to him, you know, just because he's being a dick to his friend. Because yeah. He's in a bad mood and, and, you know, and Bashir's like, oh, how's your wife? You know, but. And I do like the fact that the Bashir and O'Brien friendship is continuing. I mean, you know, that's been an interesting relationship developing over the past few years. I like um, that. The, yeah, I like that their friendship is almost based around them pretending to like each other less than they do. Yes. Like they keep, you know, oh, God, if you've played 200 games of racquetball, you know. Like us. Go- yeah, no, we, we 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 are genuine and sincere about our affection for each other. No, we are. Um, 
Yeah, I think so. I think that that one of the things that I like about the friendship is that in a certain sense, it's it's almost like how you became friends with people when you were a kid because they were the only people around. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, of course, one of the reasons why they got rid of Keiko because they wanted to sort of expand the, the Bashir O'Brien friendship a little more and sort of, you know, go into that a little more. Yeah. You know? And I think that it's one of the things that I really like about the show where it starts out in one place, these characters, this relationship, and then it starts to build and build and build. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just nice. And I think it's nice that they keep kind of seeding that in the show. Yeah. And the darts thing becomes a thing, by the way. Oh, just like uh, TNG Ed Poker? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. They they wanted to find something that they could do together that yeah. would be an activity that they could still talk. Yeah, racquetball and, and racket, a little yeah. too athletic. Yeah, racquetball is not that. So, huh. yeah, that they, they, go, they go with that dartboard idea, which I, I actually really like. And I think it makes sense, too, because they're both sort of like, you know, Irish, British, like yeah. you know, the dart thing, the pub thing. Like it all kind of works, you know, it all just kind of works. I guess, you know, both of these episodes, they weren't good in and of its themselves, but they brought up a lot of stuff that we'd forgotten about that needed to be just kind of brought back in the air. I think so, yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, too, I think that if you look at a, a, a less well-executed episode of season two, there were some that were there, definitely, and they were kind of painful to watch. I can't, and, yeah, I can't say I didn't enjoy both of these. Like I said, there, the, the, the you know, I, I, I profit motive got a lot of laughs from me. I will be honest yeah, about that. Yeah. No, it's it's fine. I think that you know maybe these are just two episodes that that don't hold up to the level of scrutiny that we give them. So in but, other words, we're better than this show. Yes, we are. We're much better than this show. And if you think you're better than this show, why don't you write us a comment? Eric could tell you all about that. I can. Well, if you would like to leave a comment on either one of the episodes that we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trackaboutshow.com. Go to our Patreon. Give us some money. Patreon.com slash trackaboutshow. All the information is there. Uh, you can find us on social media at Trek. Our username is Trek About Show. It's on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review. We would greatly appreciate it. And it is the best way for new people to find the show. Next week, we are talking about. I have to look it up because I don't have it up right now. We do not be prepared. And believe it or not, <laughs> I don't have every single episode of the show memorized. What? Uh, we are talking about visionary and distant voices. <laughs> <laughs>